The following audio is from Solid Rock Community Church. More information about Solid Rock Community Church is available at www.solidrockcommunitychurch.com. Well, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. Just, just a couple of things. Um, I'm a proud dad, and I know many of you, during my son's career, many of you went to his, a lot of his basketball games and stuff at Seattle Pacific University, and very, very supportive of him, and he knew that. And uh, he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame on Friday night. So it was it's just an amazing uh, ceremony and uh, the honor him at halftime yesterday during the game. But so anyway, I just wanted to let you know that I'm kind of a proud dad. That's okay, right? <laughs> uh, also, um, we have a really old, old guy in our church today. I mean, he's so old, we just have to help him around. But I think we ought to sing happy birthday to Dale Roth. Happy birthday to you, happy, come on, come on, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) he's such an old guy, man, but I love you, Dale, I love you like a brother, man, known Dale forever, so anyway, um, to get us started today, um, I've never told you this before. Uh, in fact, outside of Kathy, uh, I don't think I've ever publicly ever mentioned this, but I want to share this story to sort of, you know, so I can kind of set up the tension for what I want to talk about today. When I was in high school, and really throughout my high school years, uh, I had an issue uh, during that time, and some of you may be able to identify with this as well. But I had really, really bad acne. And so every morning when I would get up for school and I would look in the mirror, uh, I was reminded of how awful I looked. And then I would go to school, and sometimes my friends and other people would kind of remind me as well. And I'll never forget one summer I was out playing basketball with a friend of mine, Carl, and uh, we were shooting hoops, and uh, we both played on the varsity basketball team at the time, and it was between our junior and senior year, so we were getting ready to be seniors, and I will never forget, we were out there shooting hoops in the summer, and he says, you know, said, you know my mom said that you would probably be a pretty good-looking guy if it wasn't for all your acne. And I just kind of smiled and, you know, laughed it off, and, but inside, I was dying, you know, when he said that. And, and I don't know if you've ever been picked on or ridiculed or people have said things to you for something that you had absolutely uh, no control over, and I certainly won't ask you to raise your hand, and it could be that some of you are here this morning and you're in a situation where you've been kind of ridiculed or picked on for something that you have no control over, or maybe it could just be flat out just, you know, just write out discrimination, and because you're part of a, of a group, you're picked on, or, or maybe there's something wrong with you physically, or maybe there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but if you've ever, uh, if you've ever been sort of discriminated against because of stuff that you really don't have any control over, even if it's something as small and insignificant as acne in you know, middle school, in high school, um, it's very dehumanizing. And whereas we all have pity and we all kind of express you know, mercy for people who get picked on, if you've never experienced it, then the best word to describe it is just that it's just 
uh, dehumanizing. And it, what it does is it kind of just it throws you off balance because whatever that thing is, you know, it's true of you all the time. Even if nobody really brings it up to you or, you know, so everybody can notice it or, you know, or says, you know, anything to you, you know, like they do in middle school or high school, it's still, it's just true of you all the time. And then once we're adults, uh, you know, we just sort of pretend, you know, like we don't see those things. We just sort of pretend like it's not there. So you're a little bit, you're always a little bit off balance. And so what you do uh, internally is you kind of go one way or the other. You either power up to kind of compensate for it, so your personality gets a little bit louder, a little bit bigger, you have a little bit of an attitude, and people know you're in the room before you're in the room, and it's like you're almost in fight mode all the time, and it's almost like you're just daring anybody to bring it up or to bring it to mind. You're just kind of angry. Or... You kind of go the other way, and you kind of uh, become very, very uh, um, invisible because you're just so incredibly, you know, self-conscious. And again, if you've never, ever experienced that before, it's just extraordinary. It's horrible. And again, even that little tiny piece of my life in, in junior high and high school, it's still, it still brings back memories. Now, here's some really good news, and this has sort of been elevated in the last couple of weeks as we've seen a player from the New England Patriots reach out to a person who experienced this. Uh, in our country, uh, in the United States of America, we have an extraordinary intolerance for intolerance. I mean, bullying, which again, just in the last couple of weeks, sort of made national headlines, but bullying in the United States is bad, and that's a good thing. That in the United States, we have a high, high value about accepting people and uh, tolerating people and showing acceptance of all kinds of different people in our country. We believe that bullying is bad, and that's a good thing. But what you may not know is that what, and, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is that the, that low tolerance for bullying you know, that high value that we actually give individuals, that's actually a reflection of our Christian value system in our country and in our nation. In other words, you might think it's natural, but it's not natural. In fact, respect for the individual is not natural. What, what is natural is this, is that might makes right. That, that's what's natural. That's what you find in a lot of other countries. That's what you find in a lot of other cultures. In other words, you might be watching the news and you'll be something or you'll hear something that's going on in other countries and you'll think, oh my gosh, how in the world can they treat children like that? How can they treat women like that? How can they treat people who are different from them or don't look like them? How can they treat them that way? What's, what's wrong with those people? Don't, don't you know that we're supposed to give everybody value? Don't you know that every individual has value? Well, no, because that's not a natural thing. Natural is the original golden rule. You know what the original golden rule is, right? He who has the gold, what? What? Yeah, makes the rules, and that's pretty much, you know, how the rest of the world, you know, operates, and it's really hard for us to get our arms around that, because natural is what happened to me in middle school and high school. Natural is, I find something I don't like about you, and I power up. Natural is, if I have an advantage over you, then I'm going to leverage that advantage. Natural is, if, you know, if you're a little bit different than me, 
then I'm going to point out the fact that you're a little bit different from, from me. Now, again, I don't know who it is that you kind of powered up over, but it's in all of us. To find somebody not to like for something they have absolutely no control over. And all of us, all of us, all of us have been guilty of this. And here, here's the thing. Our assumption is that individuals have value. That's actually something we learn. It's, it's not an assumed value. That this whole idea that individuals have value, it's something we've been taught in, in our Western culture, it's something that we've, we've learned. It's not an assumed value. And this is why, and for all you history buffs, you'll appreciate this. This is why Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin obsessed. I mean, they just wordsmithed and wordsmithed and wordsmithed. You know, these famous words that I'm going to show you in just a minute from the Declaration of Independence because they understood this. That while on the surface there are some things that are self evident that if you don't stop and think about it, then they're not self-evident. So here's what we all learned growing up in school. Remember this? We hold these truths to be self-evident. And what's the self-evident truth? The self-evident truth is, if you, you know, sit and think about it for very long, you go, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's self-evident. Everybody should know that. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So they're like, hey, we, we all know this, everybody. If, if we just sit and pause long enough, you know, then you know, they're going to figure it out that, oh yeah, this is self-evident. Everybody should know that if there's a creator and God created all the people, then God, when he views from heaven, he sees all people as equal. So there's equality among men and women. I mean, that's just self-evident if you stop and think about it. But here's what they also knew, that we were not going to stop and think about it. And this is why they had to include in the Declaration of Independence or, or, or include later on in the Declaration of Independence these words, that to secure these rights, in other words, even though we know it's kind of self-evident that we're all created equal and everybody has you know, certain rights, We've got to secure these rights. Well, why is that? Because it's not natural. See, see, natural is you make fun of people who are different from you. Natural is you power up over people you have power over. Natural is discrimination. Natural is prejudice. Natural is we don't like them. Natural is we don't like her or him. And even though self-evident is that we're all equal, natural isn't always self-evident. So he writes that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. So what they're saying here is this, you know, what we all know is this. Even though, if you stop and think about it, you know, if we believe there's a God who created people, then there's equality among men. Even though that's self-evident, if, if we don't have a government if we don't have somebody coming along every once in a while and saying, hey, you got to knock that off. You can't treat them that way. You can't treat her that way. You can't treat him that way. You can't say that about them. That if we don't have someone reminding us of this self-evident truth, 
then we delve into a race of people. We delve into groups of people that do all kinds of terrible things to people who, who, don't only not, you know, who don't only not deserve it, but they have no reason to expect it because they have no control over the very thing that we hate them for and we mistreat them for. Self-evident is only self-evident to those who understand that there is a relationship between the Creator and the creature. Self-evident is only self-evident for those who pause long enough to go, oh yeah, if there is a God, then we're all equal in God's eyes because self-evident isn't natural. For, for, for example, it's, it's self-evident that you should exercise 30 minutes a day. But what's natural is you don't. Right? Right? I mean, it, it's self-evident that you should eat your fruits and vegetables. Nobody would argue with that. But you don't, right? We don't do that because oftentimes we opt for natural over self-evident. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus showed up in our world, showed up on this planet to take what is self-evident, if you just stop and pause long enough, and elevate it to the point that you could not possibly miss it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And the question that we've been asking over the last several weeks, and we're going to launch right back into Mark next week, and hopefully these things that we've talked about over the last several weeks, it's a new lens, it's a new filter, it's a new grid through which we see the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. But the question we've been asking is this. Why, why would Jesus, who was God in human flesh, John chapter 1, verse 14, God was manifest in the flesh. You know, God became human in, in, in a human body. Came, why would he come as one of us to live as one of us among us? Why in the world would God do that? And we all kind of know the big churchy, you know, Sunday school answer. And we talked about that, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But there are some subtle things that we find in the Gospels related, related to why Jesus came to the planet, and that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And now what we're going to talk about today is this, that one of the reasons that Jesus showed up, one of the reasons that Jesus came was to elevate the dignity of the individual. And the thing that's it's impossible, it's almost impossible for us to, to understand is this. I mean, as much history as we may know and as many you know, movies as we may have seen is this. That when Jesus, when Jesus came into this world, when Jesus stepped onto this planet, that people were absolutely, 100%, considered commodities. That people were owned. When, when we think in terms of slavery, we, we think about colonial America, which was absolutely horrible, obviously. But, but even in colonial America, even in pre-Civil War America, there was a thread of conscience linked to Christianity, which was the primary religion in colonial America. And obviously, it didn't do anything in the early days to dissuade people, you know, from mistreating people, mistreating slaves. But at least there was an element, there was a shadow, there was a sense of conscience as it related to people believing that God was God, that people were accountable to God, and that Jesus was the Son of God. At least there was a, a sense of a conscience. But if you rewind 
all the way back to the first century, there was none of that. Because in the first century, the gods did not treat people well, and nobody felt a, this compulsion to treat other, uh, each other well. There was no sense in the first century among the people there. There was no sense that one day God is going to hold me accountable for how I treat the people around me. That was vacant. There was none of that in the Greek way of thinking. There was none of that in the Roman way of thinking. And so people were owned. And even in the world of slavery in the first century, there was a pecking order. There were the household slaves. There were the field slaves. There were the slaves who worked in the salt mines. Children had no rights. Oftentimes, children weren't even named until months later just to make sure that they were actually going to live. Uh, Parents had the option to make sure if they even wanted to keep the living children Women in the first century had no rights. Women had no opportunity to choose, you know, who they would marry or if they would marry. They were promised many times even before they were even born. And so the individual had no value. In that world in the first century, if you had things, if you had power, if you had money, then you were viewed as someone who was blessed by God. And so consequently, you got more and more wealth and you got more and more power. But if you weren't in that uh, elite group of people, you had little to no rights. And so into this world steps Jesus. And even in Palestine, even in Israel, even in that world, the religious leaders, the religious people had leveraged their position with Rome in such a way as to keep the people quiet and keep the people peaceful so that the wealthy and the elite Jews could maintain their status with the Roman Empire. So everywhere you look, there was injustice upon injustice upon injustice upon injustice. And the person who suffered the most was the individual because there was no individual dignity. There was no sense that, hey, since I'm a human being, I have certain rights. There was no, you know, hey, since I'm a human being, I have values because they didn't view the gods that way. And by the time that Jesus showed up, no one viewed the world the way that most of us in our Western culture view the world today. They just didn't do that. And so Jesus comes along. Individual dignity is learned. It's not natural. And so Jesus comes along, and he elevated the dignity of the individual. And he did it in lots and lots of ways. And I just want to quickly just run through this really quick. He elevated the dignity of the individual through his teaching, uh, for, for, for sure. In fact, some of the stories that we're most familiar with, and I'm just going to read a few of those to you just very, very briefly, like the story of the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus takes somebody who is considered in that culture, in that time, time frame, someone who is considered an outcast, and Jesus makes him the hero of the story. A Samaritan who shows more grace and more mercy and more compassion than a priest, than a teacher of the law or a legal expert or Levi. Uh, the trilogy of, of the lost things, you know, the lost coin, the lost sheep, uh, the lost son, uh, some of those stories you may be familiar with. When Jesus would teach these parables without us understanding it because we don't understand that culture, he elevated the status of an individual sheep in that culture, the importance of a, of a lost uh, individual coin, the importance of a distant second-born son. 
Firstborn sons got all the status. They got more than half of the inheritance. But the value of a secondborn son that rebelled against his father. And, and in the trilogy of the lost things, Jesus elevated the value even of women by allowing a woman uh, to actually be a part of the story. And then this is an incredible story. Maybe you heard this if you grew up in church or you grew up in Sunday school of the widow's mite. Remember, remember this story where Jesus is with his guys and they're all standing in the temple and they're watching and, and all the middle class people and all the upper middle class people and all the rich people are walking through the temple and throwing their money in the bucket and here comes a little old you know, lady and she walks up and she drops a little bit in there and you can't even hear it hit the bottom because it's not that much and Jesus looks at her and he said, hey guys, she gave more than everybody. <laughs> Jesus, no. No, she didn't. She gave less than everybody. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. She's more righteous because she gave everything. And again, we hear a story like that. And we go, oh, how cute and how precious. But in that moment, Jesus elevated a woman who thought that God had turned his back on her, that God had actually cursed her. Otherwise, why would she be a widow? Why is it that her husband had died and left her destitute? And Jesus said, no, she gave more than them all. And in doing so, elevated and valued that woman. If you read the Gospels, which I hope you're reading the Gospels, you will find time after time after time, Jesus, in his teaching, elevating people who had never, ever been elevated before in that particular culture. But he didn't just do it through his teaching. He also elevated the dignity of individuals through his interaction with them. There's the story of the Samaritan woman. Many of us are familiar with that story. Jesus, remember this? Jesus stops to get something to drink. And the rest of the disciples, they go into a little town of Sychar in Samaria. They didn't even want to be in Samaria. But, you know, they, they didn't want to go through that, that part of the world. But, but they did. And, and they're there anyway. And Jesus stops. And when they come back out of the city with the food, Jesus is talking to a woman, and John tells us that, that they were shocked that Jesus was actually talking in public with a woman, and not just any woman, but a Samaritan woman, and in doing so, elevated the dignity of this woman. And then there's the famous stories of Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Remember that story? Remember that? Yeah. The story of Matthew, you know, the tax collector, Remember, these guys were absolutely hated. I mean, there were sinners and there were tax gatherers. Sinners didn't even want to be associated with the tax gatherers. They were like the lowest rung on the ladder. They were like as low as, you know, you could go. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus stops at Matthew's table and he said, hey, Matthew, when you're done, when you're finished, I want you to follow me. And Matthew, we're going to go to your house and I'm going to risk my reputation by going to a dinner party with your friends, and you get to choose the friends. And you know the story. He invited all of his other tax together buddies. And then one day he's out walking with the crowd, and he sees Zacchaeus. And he pauses, and he stops, and he says, Zacchaeus, I need you to come down from that tree because I'm going to go to your house too. I love it that Jesus would go into people's homes and houses. He said, I'm going to go to your house, and I'm going to risk my reputation. I'm going to tarnish my reputation by stepping over the threshold of the door to your home, and I want to have dinner with you. 
And then there's the story that's recorded in three, maybe four of the Gospels where on maybe more than one occasion, Jesus is teaching. And Jesus has so much love in his eyes that, that children would leave their parents' arms and they would rush to be held by Jesus or to be touched by Jesus. And his disciples immediately grab the kids and are like, no, 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 not children, not children. And we read that story in the Gospels and we think, what's wrong with these guys? You know, why these compassionate, compassionless guys that don't want children to be close to Jesus? But again, you need to understand, in this culture, children didn't matter. In this culture, children often didn't live. In fact, in this culture, parents were almost afraid to become too bonded to their children because so many uh, children died at a young age. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the kids come to me. I, I, want, I want the kids to come to be around me. And even in that, those moments, elevated the status of children. And maybe the most miraculous miracle of all, Jesus actually healed a mother-in-law. And I loved my mom, uh, mother-in-law, okay? Nana, we had a great relationship. I lo- okay, let's just move on. Okay, so uh, he touched the sick. And again, we can't imagine this. I mean, we understand germs. They didn't understand germs. Well, let me tell you what they did understand in the first century. You don't touch sick people. Because if you touch sick people, you would be declared ceremonially unclean. Because if a person's sick, this, is, this was their thinking, if a person is sick, it's because God's punishing them. Remember our story from last week, if you were here? Jesus, who sinned, this boy or his parents, that he's born blind? Who, who was that? See, they understood that sickness was a curse and that God had cursed these people. And so consequently, for a sick person, you know, to be a, 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 you know, an outcast, that wasn't really a conscience issue at all. Because after all, you know, in their thinking, God had stricken these people with disease. And yet Jesus reached out and touched the physically sick, the physically ill. He talked to and dealt with the mentally ill. And then toward the end of his life, he has a conversation with a convict, and he promises a convict because the convict recognizes who he was as Messiah. And that very day, a convict would receive the grace and the mercy of God. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, he would just pause, and he, and he raised, and he gave dignity to individuals, individuals that had no dignity in this very, very difficult, uh, chaotic and cruel culture. He raised the level of dignity everywhere Jesus went. He elevated the status and the dignity of the individual to the point to where it was offensive to those who had prejudice in their heart. It was offensive to those whose uh, natural inclination was to discriminate. It was offensive to those who assumed that those who had been blessed had been blessed by God, and those who had not been blessed had fallen out of favor with God. But the capstone, the punctuation, the epicenter of this lesson was was when Jesus died, that Jesus elevated the dignity of the individual to the greatest degree through his death. And see, I want to just talk to all of us who are Christians this morning, okay? If, If For those of us who are Christians, if we truly believe in our hearts, if we truly believe that God sent his son into this world to die for the sins of mankind, then the fact that God 
would view every single individual who ever lived, including you, including the person that you hate the most, the person that you have the least respect for, if we really believe that God sent His Son into this world to die for the sins of all of mankind, then do you understand that at the cross, everybody's dignity was raised to a level that we know we don't deserve? That at the foot of the cross, we're all made low, we're all made equal in the sight of God at the cross. About 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul said. He said it this way. He said, very rarely, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. I mean, it is so rare. I mean, you see it in movies, you read it in novels. But very rarely will someone willingly give their life, even for a righteous person. Though, for a good person, Someone might possibly dare to die, but God, and I love this because Colette quoted this right at the end of the worship set, but God demonstrates his own love for us. And do you know who the us is? Who's the us? It's us, right? It's us. And it's all the us's at work, and it's all the us's you go to school with, and it's all the us's you love to talk about. And it's all the us's you love to discriminate against. And it's all the us's that you have a bad attitude toward. It's all the us's who mistreated you and now you have an opportunity to mistreat them. His own love for us in this, that while we, and you know who we is, right? We is us. Turn to your neighbor and say, we is us. We is us. We is us. (laughs) That while we, us, were sinners, Christ died for us, all of us, that somehow, and this is what I really want you to get this this morning. I really want you to get this. That somehow Jesus was able to live without adjectives and labels. And here's what I mean by that. There were no good people and no bad people. There were no righteous and unrighteous based on their own efforts. There were no just purely moral and immoral. There weren't the in people and the out people, that as you study the life of Jesus, and you you can study this, as his ministry went on, it became evident that, that Jesus, he didn't even make a clear delineation between the Jews who were in and the Gentiles who were out, that Jesus didn't live with labels and Jesus didn't live with adjectives. For for Jesus, for Jesus, there were just people, people. And here's the thing, Jesus wasn't naive, it wasn't like he lived his life and he wouldn't look over there or anything like that. No, no, no. Jesus knew the hearts of all men. Jesus knew the hearts of all women. And apparently, Jesus saw that there really wasn't that much difference. In fact, Philip Yancey says it this way. He says, you know, on this planet, you know, we as humans, we're we're so aware of, you know, mountain peaks and valleys and the depths of the sea. But he said, from outer space, it's a smooth ball. And perhaps from the vantage point of holiness 
and perhaps from the vantage point of sinlessness, and perhaps from the vantage point of God in a human body, when Jesus looked at you, and when Jesus looked at me, and when Jesus looked at sin in the world, it just was, there, just, there just wasn't uh, you know, that much of a difference. So he didn't need labels. He didn't need adjectives. And he didn't have to die a little bit more for some people and a little bit less for other people because from his vantage point, we were all sinners separated from God who were in need of a Savior. And perhaps this is why, boy, this is so clear, perhaps this is why Jesus had such a low tolerance for self-righteousness. Perhaps the thing that drove him crazy, perhaps the thing that got him, you know, he got most uh, incensed about, perhaps the the reason he was so, and and the thing that he was most intolerant of was self-righteousness. The, the individual that said, you know, because of who I am and because of what I have and because of who I'm related to and because of what I have done and because of what I haven't done and, you know, somehow uh, my own efforts and my works and my goodness and, you know, my inherent, you know, moralness, it sets me apart from other people. I'm telling you, Jesus, you study his life, Jesus had no tolerance for that because Jesus knew that really basically we're all just you know just shades of gray away from one another in fact let me summarize it this way when people use the words of God to hurt people bearing the image of God Jesus was quick to remind them you're on the wrong side of God that in the gospels when you read the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John when you read the gospels whenever somebody would try to take the words of God and twist them in such a way that they were able to alienate other people or hurt other people that bore the image of God, Jesus was quick to remind them, no, 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 not my father, not me, not on my watch. Because from my perspective, you're basically all the same, which means this, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross, I lose my right to discriminate against anybody for any reason. It means that the Christian community, and think about this, what if we got this right? It means the Christian community should be the most non-discriminatory group of people in the world. That if Christians had any reputation at all because of you know, what Jesus did for us, our reputation should simply be, hey, you know what, they believe some crazy stuff, but boy, you should see the way they treat other people. And while we may always be criticized for what we believe, we should be famous, we should be known for how we treat other people. Because if Jesus was correct, then everybody is somebody. Because everybody is somebody that God loves and everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. Now that's self-evident, but it's not natural. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're kind of like on the inside, yeah, it is self-evident. I mean, if God created everybody and Jesus came to you know, die on the cross and pay for everybody's sin, then everybody is somebody. It's, it's self-evident. I mean, it's self-evident, you know, for me to treat somebody poorly because they're less than or have something I don't have or they become something I wish, you know, I could have become or maybe they had an unfair, you know, advantage. For me to d- discriminate against that person is basically saying to God, well, you know what, God, your standard is lower than mine. I actually have a higher standard than God. And it's really to show extraordinary disrespect for what God has done for all of us. 
It's quiet here this morning. So I'm going to push you a little bit, and then we'll be done, okay? Let me just push you a little bit. For some of you, while I'm talking, you're sort of having a conversation with me in your mind right now. And I get that, okay? I do that all the time when somebody's speaking. I'm going, yeah, but he didn't. And honey, wait till we get home. I'm going to tell you what he missed. So I, got to, I, I understand that, okay? I get this. But here's what I don't want you to miss. If you're a Christian, you cannot live life with a I'm better because of attitude toward anyone. Some of you don't like people who aren't smart. Some of you don't like people who are smart. Some of you don't like skinny people. Some of you don't like out of shape people. Some of you don't like white people. Some of you don't like black people. Some of you don't like brown people. Some of you don't like black people that are, from, are not from the United States or from other countries because that bothers you. Some of you don't like people who are more successful than you. Some of you don't like people who are better educated, have master's degrees. Some of you don't like your boss. We've all, all of us, all of us have got it in us. And, and, and again, if you're here and you're not a Christian, then, you know, well, I guess just go for it, right? I mean, it's, it's natural. I mean, it is self-evident that you shouldn't do that. But hey, you know, be natural, right? Don't eat, don't eat your fruits and vegetables. Don't study for the test, okay? You know, discriminate. I mean, it's your business. I mean, it's self-evident. But, but if you're a Christian, we're held to a higher account. We're held to a higher standard. And so for some of us, to use an old-fashioned Bible church term, you need to repent because it's sin. And we can argue about what's sin and what's not sin, but I'm telling you, this is just straight-up sin. This is ingratitude. This is, and Jesus hated this. This is self-righteousness, that there's something about myself that makes me more than you. Jesus hated that because he knew the hearts of men. And as much better as, as I might think I am than someone else, Jesus, he would shake his head and he would go, nope, nope. Different? Yes. Better? No. Different color? Yes. Better? No. Better educated? Yes. Better? No. Required more or less grace, you know, for me than the person that you have a bad attitude toward? No. <clears throat> and for some of you, I, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Not today. Not right now. No, 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 no. That'd be way too easy. We could come up, sing a song, get all emotional, get all stirred, say a quick prayer, and walk out of here. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. Because some of you have been carrying this around for a long, long time, for years. And you've justified it and you've justified it because, you know, you and your group of friends get together and you just yak, yak, yak about him or yak about her or yak about them. And it's sin. And it's the thing that bothered Jesus the most. And you need to repent. You need to go home at some point today before this day is over. Get down on your knees, even if you don't get on your knees when you pray. This is a big one. You need to get on your knees and say, Heavenly Father, this is a sin. This is extraordinary ingratitude. The fact that I would sing songs, the fact that I would even pray to you, the fact that I would pray for my children, pray for my marriage, pray for a marriage, pray for children, the fact that I would pray and ask you to do anything when I have been so rude and so crude and so discriminatory towards those that you love. Please forgive me.
because I've sinned. The fact that your son, Jesus, came into this world and elevated the dignity of every single person he was ever eyeball to eyeball with and then died on a bloody Roman cross for their sin and mine, the fact that I would treat them less than, for whatever reason, forgive me. To sin. And then the second thing some of you need, not all of you, need to do is you need to start doing some repairing. Repent and repair. Repent and repair. Repair for some of you is a conversation. Because I'm just going to tell you something. Your bad attitude has been telegraphed. They know. You may have never said anything to them at all, but they know. They can tell by the way you look. They can tell by what you haven't said. They could hear it in the tone of your voice. They know. So part of repentance may be a conversation where you begin to repair the damage that you've been doing. For others of you, no conversation at all. It's just from this point going forward, you just need to do what Jesus did. <laughs> you need to start looking for opportunities to elevate the dignity of the people that you have a tendency not to give dignity to. And when you feel that resistance and when you feel that emotion coming, just, just recognize this is sin in you and you're not going to let it rule your life anymore. And you recognize that it's self evident that all people should be treated with dignity and you're going to opt for self-evident over natural. You're going to opt for self-evident over what you've always done, what your parents have done, maybe what your grandfather did, maybe what your grandmother did because you're going to repent and we're going to repent and we're going to be a community of Christians and believers who treat others the way our Heavenly Father through Jesus treated us. Because one of the reasons that Jesus came to this earth was to demonstrate and to illustrate, to teach us that all men are loved and that all have dignity because they bear the image of God in them. And can you imagine if the church just got this right for six months, a year, six months, ten years? Can you imagine if the reputation of the church is, hey, they believe some crazy stuff, but I'm telling you, look at the way they love each other. I'm telling you, they believe some crazy, they actually believe a guy rose from the dead. I mean, I don't believe all that, but I'm telling you, look at the way they love. See, that was to be our reputation right from the very beginning. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you what? Come on. What? Love. One another. That was to be the reputation from the very beginning. So here's what I want to challenge you with this morning, and then we're done. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. This is after you've repented and repaired, okay? Here's what I want you to do. As you read through the Gospel of Mark, and in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking for, you know, okay, where, what do I learn about the Father from the Son? So that, that was then. Here's what I want you to start doing. I want you to look for places in the life of Jesus where he elevated the dignity of the individual, because they're everywhere. I want you to look for those moments where he, you know, how he interacts with people who are outcasts, with shepherds, with working class people, with, with women, with children. 
uh, with people who are actually known sinners of the day. And as you begin to read the Gospel of Mark, look at the way that Jesus went out of his way to elevate the dignity of the individual because that's one of the reasons that God came into this world and to dwell among us. So that's my challenge to you, that you'll do that this week, and I hope that you'll do that. I'm done. I'm done. Would you stand together with me? I want to I pray with us uh, together, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much that we have your word with us, and, it's, and you've given us the opportunity to not only carry it around, but we get to read it, and read it again, and read it again, and read it again, and, and thank you for helping us understand so much of that today. Father, I know this is, this is difficult for many of us because it's in all of us. It's in me. It's in all of us. To leverage our strengths against those that we feel who are weaker. Uh, Father, some of us have been on the negative side, negative side of that for a while, and it's still in us. Father, for some of us, it's come to our attention for the first time in a long time today. And I just pray that we would have the courage to face you with it, to repent of this sin, and to move on. And Father, I pray that Solid Rock and really churches all across this country, really all over the world, would be continually renewed and continually cleansed of this thing that is so natural but so insidious and so embarrassing when we're confronted with it in the mirror. Give us your wisdom. Give us your insight. Give us your understanding to take what we've heard today and to apply it to our individual lives in a way that would honor you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you. I'll see you next week. Okay? Bless you. Make a way for...